everyone. Welcome back to the online ministry of Grace Baptist Church. Uh, if you're new, welcome. We want you to feel part of what God's doing here and be encouraged by the Word of God. Right now we're in a series in Romans 6 to 8 called How God Helps Us Change. And today's message looks to clarify how God's plan for us to grow in the new covenant is different than the old. Now, Romans is considered by some people to be a dry book of doctrine. But today's passage is full of drama. There's death, a love triangle, adultery, and legal loopholes. In fact, it reminds me of a movie from the late 90s called Double Jeopardy. It's a story of Libby Parsons, who's played by Ashley Judd. She wakes up one morning after a sailing trip with her husband and finds that she's covered in blood. Her husband's missing, and the boat looks like a crime scene. As she looks around, she finds a knife and decides to pick it up just as the Coast Guard arrives. She couldn't look more guilty. Soon, Libby is in jail, framed for her husband's murder. Only she later learns that her husband isn't dead. She serves her time in prison with only one consolation. When she gets out, she's going to kill her husband for real this time. And because of the double jeopardy rule, she'll be able to do so without any consequences. Double jeopardy says that a person can't be charged twice for the same crime. And it's an interesting premise for a movie. But it's based on a misunderstanding of the double jeopardy law. In reality, the murder that she was framed for and the one she was hoping to commit, even though they involved the same person, would be seen legally as two separate crimes. And so the heroine wouldn't have the freedom to break the law as she might have hoped. Today's passage deals with some similar dynamics. Paul wants us to see that in putting our faith in Jesus, his death on the cross for sin is credited to us. We were under the death penalty, but that that punishment was born on our behalf by Jesus. And we can't be charged again for the same crimes. In a sense, we live under the cover of double jeopardy. But we can confuse and misinterpret that freedom the same way that Ashley Judd's character did. Romans 7 verses 1 to 6 clears through that confusion. And it clarifies our relationship to the old covenant and helps us to see what's so new about the new covenant. If you don't have a Bible, pause the video, turn to the passage so you can follow along. Romans 7 verses 1 to 6. Or do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she'll be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she's free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now that we're released from the law, having died to that which held us captive so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. This is the word of God. Now these verses 
help us to clarify Christian double jeopardy in three important ways. The first principle of double jeopardy living is that we're released from the law's condemnation. This is the easiest of the three to grasp. Because Jesus already served the sentence on our behalf, the guilty verdict against us is taken away. The judgment's been removed. Double jeopardy living means that we're released from the law's condemnation. Now, Paul helps us to see that through a dramatic illustration. In verse 2, he describes a married woman who's bound by law to her husband. The impression is she's married to a tyrant. He's oppressive and controlling. But it says if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. Now, I read this, and I hope this isn't how Jennifer speculates on her future when my time comes. With Paul gone, now I'm released from the law of marriage, free at last. Before he passed, this would have been considered adultery, but now I'm free from that law, and I can marry whomever I choose. Again, we wouldn't consider this the normal response to the death of a spouse. But Paul wants to picture a woman's marriage to a man who made his wife feel like she was trapped. And in verse 3, he describes uh, what, it, what, what it would be like in those two scenarios. If she moves in with another guy while her husband's still on the scene, she'd be guilty of adultery. But if her husband dies, she's free to marry the other man without consequence. As a husband, I'm not that crazy about Paul's illustration. But it's vivid and memorable and helps us to understand what might otherwise have been an abstract concept. Do you see what he's trying to say with it? Having already made the point that we've died with Christ when we put our faith in him, Paul says in verse 1 that the law is binding on a person only as, lo as long as he lives. So that old, oppressive, controlling, hard-to-live-with husband is the story of the law of Moses. We're not bound by it anymore. We're not under its authority. That means, for starters, that when you read the laws in the Old Testament about not eating shellfish or wearing clothes of linen and wool, you recognize those laws don't apply to us anymore. But more than that, the Mosaic Covenant is, itself is no longer binding on us. That doesn't mean that it doesn't contain truth about God and His will for our lives, but it's no longer our covenant. It's not the basis by which God relates to His people anymore. And so when you read the Old Testament, you need to keep that in mind. You need to filter what you're reading through the lens of the New Covenant. Now, the other thing that becomes clear through Paul's illustration is that the law of Moses can't condemn us anymore. They say that the law contains 613 commands. They covered every area of life in minute detail. And then beyond what was written in the Bible, religious scholars would add and apply so many rules and traditions that all of the obligations could be crushing. The message that the wife in Paul's illustration is free from that law and can marry another, woman, another man and is not an adulteress, that's his way of saying that the guilty verdict has been erased. The burden and the weight of those obligations has been lifted. Now, most of us didn't grow up in Orthodox Jewish homes, worrying about kosher food laws or feeling guilty about wanting to trim our facial hair. But many of you were raised with a similar emphasis on commands, threats, and condemnation. 
maybe in your, your home, you couldn't eat meat on Fridays or you couldn't play outside on Sundays. Your rules may have just been rooted in tradition or maybe they were right from Holy Scripture. But if your exposure to life or religion was mostly conditioned by rules, threats, and fear, chances are you'll try to carry that into your walk with Jesus. If your understanding of God's will was mainly marked by restriction and condemnation, it's liable to affect how you see the Christian life now. You might swap out some of the old rules for some of the new ones, but the basic paradigm will remain the same. If that's you and if you've put your faith in Jesus, then you need to come to terms with your double jeopardy status. You may have been guilty under the law, but through faith in Jesus, you've done your time. You've died to sin and you've died to, to the law. Your status has changed now and you're free from that past judgment. Because of double jeopardy, you can't be charged again. You're free to begin a new life. Now, so far we've only looked at what double jeopardy takes away from us. That oppressive, controlling husband called the law is out of the picture now. We're free from him. And double jeopardy says that we're released from the law's condemnation. But while it's a relief to put him behind us, his death makes room for a new someone special. Double jeopardy means that we belong to Jesus and bear fruit for him. Let me explain. When we looked at Paul's illustration, we said that there was a wife who was married to a controlling man that she longed to be free from. But there was another. It wasn't just that she dreamed of a life of singleness, she longed for a better relationship with another man. In verse 4, Paul spells out what he was getting at. It says, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. Now, in the movie Double Jeopardy, Ashley Judd's character saw the purpose of having her prison sentence paid was that it was an opportunity to sin without consequence. She could let loose on her revenge and anger and hatred without having to worry about what would happen to her. No consequences. And that's how many people misunderstand the grace of the gospel. They're all about getting free from law and judgment, but they figure that now they can sing, sin with impunity. But that's not the Christian message at all. Verse 4 shows that we've been released from a lousy husband, but it's so that we could be joined to a great one. Notice a phrase right there in the middle. It says, so that you may belong to another. We don't belong to the law of Moses. Now we belong to Jesus in the new covenant. Now we submit to him. Now we live under his leadership. And the result, according to the end of the verse, is that we bear fruit for God. We actually grow in obedience. We grow in righteousness. Does that surprise you? In freeing us from the threats and warnings and burden of the law and bringing us into a new relationship defined by submission to Jesus Christ, we actually keep God's commands more faithfully, not less. In verse 5, Paul explains why. That's where he says, For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. Did you hear it? 
Does it really say that our sinful passions are aroused by the law? Is that a mistake? Isn't the whole point that our sin is restrained by the law? Isn't that why we give our children so many rules? Why is he saying the opposite? A developmental psychologist at Penn State ran an interesting experiment. They took a large group of kids and fed them a big lunch. Then they turned them loose in a room with lots of junk food. <laughs> what do you think they did? Well, interestingly, some of the kids ate nothing. They were full after all. They didn't need any more. But there were other kids who went wild on the junk food. It was like they hadn't eaten anything. Do you know what the main distinguishing factor between the two groups of children was? You've probably guessed it. It all depended on how strict their parents were on eating junk food. It turns out that the children who were raised with strict rules about junk food were convinced they must be missing out on something really good. And so away from their parents, they jumped at the chance to eat as much as they could. Now, I'm sure that wasn't very encouraging news for those parents. And maybe that's not very encouraging news for you either. You may have thought that the goal of parenting was to so restrict your child's behavior with so many rules that they just have to be godly. And just to be sure, you feed them with a regular diet of threats and warnings and shame. Do you know what Paul would call that? That's parenting like the oppressive husband whose wife is waiting for him to die so she can get free. You're parenting your child like an Old Testament Jew. Even though Paul has argued the law could never bring righteousness. Now, others of you are thinking, I've determined not to do that. I want to give my child the freedom to explore and express themselves and not burden them down with any rules. But all you're doing when you parent like that is giving your child the world's view of freedom. You're teaching them that there are no authorities to be followed. Their, their choices have no consequences. And so it would only be natural that they'll one day walk away from a God who claims full authority over their lives. This, is, this passage isn't teaching either of those extremes, and it's not even teaching a halfway middle point between them. God's commands are essential to give us an understanding of sin. Even from a young age, a child needs to be taught that there are consequences to disregarding authority. But our goal is not to use the law to shape them into a godly mold, as if we thought that our rules and, and God's commandments could change the human heart. The purpose of God's commands is to convince us of sin. But without Christ, there's no hope. There's nowhere to go. Without Christ, there's no power. Without Christ, there's no grace or forgiveness or transformation. And so our homes, they need to look more like Jesus than Moses. And so do our own hearts. Double jeopardy living doesn't just mean that we're free from the law. It means that we belong to Jesus and we bear fruit for him. But we haven't yet clarified how. And so the final principle of double jeopardy living is that we submit in the new way of the Spirit. With the law, we just had an external code to try and control us from the outside. But with the Spirit, we have an internal power to change us from, it, from within. Double jeopardy living means that we submit in the new way of the Spirit. Now, 
In verse 6, Paul seems to double back to where he started the chapter, and he reiterates what we have what we really have been released from, and that has been the Mosaic law. It says, but now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. The Mosaic law never, no longer defines our discipleship. That system is no longer what governs our relationship with God. I find Galatians 3 contains one of the most helpful metaphors for understanding a Christian's relationship to the law now. In Galatians 3.24, it says, The law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. As believers, we relate to the law now like a childhood nanny. There's affection and respect. There are lessons that we can still learn. But as adults, the nanny no longer has authority over us. For people whose lives had been completely dominated by obedience to the law, it was hard for them to come to terms with their new freedom. Even if you're not Jewish, you may have grown up reading the Bible without ever stopping to realize that there's an old covenant and there's also a new one. And even if that's not the case, your parents may have heaped a thousand and one rules on you with the goal of making sure that you'd end up perfect. Along the way, you internalized all the threats and the warnings and the shame. And so now you just hear it as a voice inside you. And the problem is, it just doesn't work. If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, there's a new way to live now. There's a new way to grow, a new way to pursue holiness. The end of verse 6 says we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Now that sounds encouraging, but what on earth does it mean? It doesn't mean that we're not into the Bible anymore and we just have this subjective sense of the Spirit's guiding us. That's not the point. In Ephesians 6.17, Paul calls the Word of God the sword of the Spirit. So Paul couldn't be saying that the Bible isn't important anymore. The point is that the old covenant was all external. He gave them good laws, but they had no power to follow them. They had warnings of judgment for disobedience and promises of blessing for obedience, but they kept failing. And so the law was just this constant reminder of how far they'd sh- short they'd fallen. Under the new covenant, We not only have a pardon for our sins, but we have power inside us through the Holy Spirit. God is working to change us from the inside, not just control us from the outside. The Holy Spirit makes obedience attractive. He gives us new desires for righteousness, and he also makes obedience possible. He gives us the strength, strength to say yes to God. He gives us the power to say no to sin. It really is a new day. But notice in verse 6, it says that we are released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit. See that word serve? Serve there isn't just talking about volunteering as an usher or Sunday school teacher. It's the language of total life allegiance. We're bound to Jesus Christ in every area of our lives. He is our Lord and Master. But there's no condemnation this time. He's given us commands to follow, but he's also given us the power of the Holy Spirit to follow them. 
and grace and forgiveness when we fall short. This is true double jeopardy living. So how do you respond to all of this? I think the first place to start is to take a long, hard look at your life and ask who you're married to. Maybe some of you are still married to the law. Something inside of you keeps saying failure, not good enough, sinner, unacceptable. You should be ashamed. Maybe you don't just hear those voices in your head. That's what keeps coming out of your mouth. And if that's what you're heaping on your children in the name of Christianity, it'll bury them. The point of this message is not to encourage you to try to do that less. It's to show you that Jesus died that you might be set free from that oppressive, controlling husband called the law. You can walk away. And I'm urging you to do that even now. But maybe that's not your issue. You're not married to the law. In fact, you've decided that marriage just feels too constricting. You want your freedom, so you're keeping your options open. You flirt with the law, you have your rules, but you also flirt with Jesus. It's not like he's not in your life or anything. You even listen to sermons when it's convenient. But you couldn't honestly say that you belong to him. He's not Lord. You are. That's why you pick and choose where you'll obey and how you'll follow. You're not serving him as your master. You expect him to serve you as your helper. Whatever that is, it's not from the Bible and it's not even Christianity. It's just sin. And you're not covered by double jeopardy. If you're your own master, then you're also your own savior. And that's a problem because you can't save yourself. Jesus is a better husband. He holds the commands of God high where they were supposed to be all along. But he takes the punishment for our, all our failings so we can walk in double jeopardy. Instead of meeting us in condemnation, he responds to our sin with more grace. He leads by example. He ministers to us in love. He covers us with righteousness and fills us with the Holy Spirit. If you're listening to this, you probably respect Jesus. You like him. But do you belong to him? Do you have the confidence that when the final judgment comes, you'll be spared because Jesus will say, he belongs to me or she's mine? Do you have that confidence because by faith you've given him your allegiance now? If not, do that today. He's a better husband and he gives good gifts to all who serve him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that there is freedom. We thank you that there's freedom from condemnation, freedom from burdens and obligations that we have had no power to fulfill, freedom from failure, freedom from the shame. Father, I pray for anyone here listening to this, thinking, that's all I know. I pray, Father, that you would give them the courage to put their full weight of trust in Jesus Christ. To submit to him as Lord and to trust in him as Savior. I pray, Father, that you would give all of us the courage to live 
with a conviction that we belong to Jesus, that all of our lives belong to him. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for his power and his grace, his strength, his enabling. Thank you for the righteous desires that he's planted in our hearts. Help us to keep in step with him, to walk with him, to glorify you and to walk into the good fruit that our new life with Jesus brings. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I hope this message has helped you understand how God helps us grow. I hope it's helped you to see how Jesus released you from the law's condemnation that you might belong to him and bear fruit for him by the Holy Spirit. If this has stirred up questions for you or you need help in sorting out some of the decisions that it calls for, send me an email or leave a comment below. If this is a message you think others need to hear, share the link and help spread the word. And as always, for more messages of hope, visit gracebc.ca. God bless and see you next time.